Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is October 30th, 2023, and I'm your skeptical host, Dennis Wren. The title of today's podcast is, I want a treatment with a short course for pediatric urinary tract infections. Our guest skeptic is Dr. Ellie Hill, who is a pediatric emergency medicine physician at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C., and assistant professor of pediatrics and emergency medicine at George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Her research interests include improving the diagnosis of urinary tract infections in children. Dr. Hill, welcome to SGEMPEDS. Thank you for having me. Well, let's jump straight into it because you are an expert in the diagnosis of urinary tract infections, and I understand that you brought us a case. I sure did. The case is, a four-year-old girl comes to the emergency department complaining of pain with urination. She has not had any fevers or flank pain. The last time she had these symptoms was a year ago. She was diagnosed with a urinary tract infection, or UTI, and was started on antibiotics. You obtain a urinalysis that demonstrates 43 white blood cells, positive leukocyte esterase, and positive nitrates. You tell the family the results of the urinalysis and let them know that she likely has another UTI, and you plan to prescribe some antibiotics. Her parents reply, the last time she had to take over a week of antibiotics for her UTI, and she had bad diarrhea, is it possible that we can do a shorter treatment if she needs antibiotics? Is it just me? Or does it seem like things are getting shorter, especially when it comes to antibiotic courses? Now, we covered short course treatment for pediatric pneumonia in the SAFER trial with Dr. Andy Tagg back on SGM338, and Ken and I covered the SCOUT CAP trial on SGM359. Ellie, can you remind us, what was the SGM bottom line from that SCOUT CAP trial? This study suggests that a short course of antibiotics is just as effective as a standard course of antibiotics for the treatment of community-acquired pneumonia in children with non-severe illness and may lead to better antimicrobial stewardship. Okay, but wait a minute. We're talking about urinary tract infections today, and I understand that is one of your research interests. Yes, both defining UTI and practicing antimicrobial stewardship are my current research interests. UTIs are one of the most common bacterial infections of childhood that we see in the emergency department. The American Academy of Pediatrics, or the AAP, released guidelines for the management of febrile infants and children two to 24 months back in 2011. In those guidelines, they included the statement, the clinician should choose 7 to 14 days as duration of antimicrobial therapy but the optimal antibiotic duration for the treatment of UTI is still uncertain. So Ellie, what's the clinical question we're asking today? What is the efficacy of a short course, five-day therapy, versus standard course, 10-day therapy of antibiotics for children with urinary tract infection? And what's our reference? Zadoas T. et al., short course therapy for urinary tract infections in children, the SCOUT randomized clinical trial, JAMA Pediatrics, August 2023. All right, let's move on to our PICO questions. What was the population they included in this study? They included children two months to 10 years with and without febrile UTI exhibiting clinical improvement after five days of antimicrobials. 
Now, they had a long list of exclusion criteria that we will list for you in the show notes. What was the intervention? An additional five days of antimicrobial therapy, 10 days total in the standard course. And their comparison? And an additional five days of placebo, five days total, which was the short course. Okay, let's move on to the outcomes. What was the primary outcome they were looking at? Their primary outcome was treatment failure defined as symptomatic UTI at or before the first follow-up visit, which was day 11 to 14. And their secondary outcomes? UTI after first follow-up visit, asymptomatic bacteria, positive urine culture, gastrointestinal colonization with resistant organisms. And what type of trial was this? This was a multi-center, randomized, double-masked, placebo-controlled, non-inferiority clinical trial. Ooh, and I do like many of those words. Now, the authors concluded, in this randomized clinical trial, children assigned to standard course therapy had lower rates of treatment failure than children assigned to short course therapy. However, the low failure rate of short course therapy suggests that it could be considered as a reasonable option for children exhibiting clinical improvement after five days of antimicrobial treatment. Moving on to our quality checklist for randomized clinical trials. First question, Dr. Hill. Did the study population include or focus on those in the emergency department? No, it included both emergency departments, outpatient clinics, and inpatient wards. Were the patients adequately randomized? Yes, they were stratified based on presence or absence of fever and initial antimicrobial prescribed. Was the randomization process concealed? Yes. Were the patients analyzed in the groups to which they were randomized? Yes, they performed an intention-to-treat analysis. Were these study patients recruited consecutively? It is unclear. Were the patients in both groups similar with respect to prognostic factors? Yes. Were all participants, the patients, clinicians, outcome assessors, unaware of the group allocation? Yes. They matched the placebo for color, texture, and flavor. Oh, I wonder what it tasted like. Hmm. Were all groups treated equally except for the intervention? Yes. Do you think follow-up was complete? Yes. Were all patient-important outcomes considered? Yes. Do you think the treatment effect was large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? I think this is up for debate. Okay, and finally, were there any financial conflicts of interest? A few of the physicians had grants from pharmaceutical companies, but reported that they were not related to this particular study. Okay, let's move on to the results. So they identified 1,679 eligible children and randomized 693, with 664 included in the final analysis. 64% were white, non-Hispanic, the median age was 4 years old, and the most common isolated pathogen was E. coli. That was around 90%. Ellie, what was the key result? Children assigned to standard course therapy had lower rates of treatment failure compared to children assigned to short course therapy for UTI. 
All right, let's break it down by outcome now. What did they find when it came to their primary outcome? Two children, or 0.6%, in the standard course therapy group compared to 14 children, or 4.2%, in the short course therapy group had treatment failure. That's a difference of 3.6%. And this effect was smaller in the per-protocol analysis. This was a difference of 2.2%. And what about their secondary outcomes? Children undergoing short-course therapy had asymptomatic bacteria, 5.3%, with a confidence interval of 1.7 to 8.9%, and a positive urine culture, 10.4%, with a confidence interval of 6.6 to 14.2%, at or before day 11 to 14 visit. And there were no other statistically significant differences, and the number needed to treat of 28 for treatment failure. All right, Ellie. Are you ready for my favorite section? And listeners, you're in luck. Because it's time to talk nerdy. I'm so excited. Let's go. All right. First nerdy point is about the definition of a UTI. Okay. Is it just me? Or does it seem like making a diagnosis of a UTI as an attending somehow feels more complicated compared to when I was still in training? The last guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics in 2011 define a UTI as 50,000 colony-forming units. Now, the authors used a bit of a different standard for diagnosing UTI in this study as 50,000 colony-forming units in a suprapubic aspiration or catheterized specimen and 100,000 colony-forming units from a clean voided specimen. Defining UTI is difficult because this definition is based on patient symptoms, which may be vague in the very young. The diagnosis also requires evidence of inflammation and a positive urine culture. When looking at culture data, there is research out there to suggest that a cutoff of 10,000 colony-forming units may be appropriate in the very young population. However, in those children greater than age 2, we must remember there can be the presence of sterile pyuria and asymptomatic bacteria, which should not be diagnosed as UTI under current guidelines. It is understood that there is not a great gold standard for UTI, but with new biomarkers, improved culture methods, and RNA and DNA techniques, there is hope for a more specific diagnostic strategy. Wait, so you're saying the definition is still fluid? All right, all all bad puns aside, there is uncertainty in determining whether a child has a symptomatic UTI. And this is especially challenging in that less than two-year population as some of these symptoms are very nonspecific, right? Including poor feeding, vomiting, fever, and even some of the other symptoms like suprapubic, abdominal, or flank pain are a bit challenging in this pre-verbal population. Nerdy point number two is about the antibiotic duration. Now, this was a study looking at the duration of antimicrobial therapy, but there is one very important question that is unclear to us. Did the patients take their antimicrobial therapy as prescribed in the first five days prior to enrolling in the study? And I don't think we know the answer to this. So as an extreme example, if a patient did not take any antibiotic during the initial five days prior to enrollment, then was enrolled into that standard course therapy group and adhered to that, then they actually would have only received five days total of antibiotics. The dosing of cefixime 
trimethoprim, sulfamethoxazole, and Keflex also differ from one another, usually one, two, three times a day dosing respectively. This also may have contributed to the medication adherence. Nerdy point number three is about the inclusion criteria. This study included children under the age of two and those with fever. This may muddy the waters a bit. Typically, younger children, less than two years old, with febrile UTI are treated with longer courses of antibiotics. Now, is this because in this group who typically have limited language expressive abilities can't really tell you whether or not they're just having dysuria or if there's some associated flank pain. So you really can't tell whether or not this febrile UTI is truly just a UTI or is it even possibly pyelonephritis? Yes. Most younger kids are diagnosed with UTI when they present with fever and there's a concern for possible renal scarring. This study was not powered to differentiate between outcomes of patients with younger ages or patients with UTI and fever. All right, our fourth nerdy point here is about antibiotic stewardship. This was something you mentioned early on in the show, Ellie. Yes. One of the concerns of antibiotic overuse is the development of antimicrobial resistance. So the authors looked at the resistant patterns for E. coli and Klebsiella in the stool of children treated with long and short course antibiotics as a proxy for this. They found no significant difference. Now, I do want to point out this is a LU or a lab-oriented outcome, and we're not sure of the clinical significance of these findings. Do the resistance patterns in stool correlate with the same resistance patterns in the urine? And when there are resistant bacteria, how long does that resistance last? How does it impact the patient? Does this mean that they are at risk of having harder-to-treat UTIs in the future? We aren't really sure of the answer to those questions. And now, I apologize. I know we're talking about pee here, but our last nerdy point is about poos, or patient-oriented outcomes. There are a few reasons I can think of for treating UTIs in children. Most obviously is because they're having dysuria, and it's uncomfortable for them, so we can make them feel better, so let's make them feel better. Other bad things include the risk of urosepsis or renal scarring, So let's chat a little bit about these two other risks. First off, urosepsis. Scary stuff. But how often does an untreated UTI evolve into urosepsis? I don't think we know, but probably not that common. That's true. We know severe sepsis is not that common, and some research would suggest that urosepsis comprises only a small fraction of those cases. Let's talk about renal scarring next, and this is usually an image-based finding, and there's thought that it's associated with poor renal function, hypertension, and renal disease. Is that true? This also may not be straightforward. We mentioned before that many times we are diagnosing UTI or pyelonephritis in the younger population after they present with a fever. There is a possibility that the injury has already occurred by the time we start antibiotics, but kidneys are also resilient and can recover from initial injury. There's currently limited evidence to suggest that renal scarring from UTI has clinically important impact on renal function or blood pressure. And our friend Justin Morgenstern of First10EM has a great blog post on pediatric UTIs that we'll link in our show notes. All right, Ellie, can you comment on the author's conclusions compared to the SGM conclusion? 
We agree with the author's conclusion that it is reasonable to consider a shorter course of antibiotic therapy with good follow-up. And what's the SGEM bottom line? The optimal duration of antibiotic therapy for UTI in children is uncertain. Shorter courses may be appropriate with adequate follow-up. Can you resolve that case for us that you presented at the beginning? I sure can. You talk to the family, you engage in shared decision-making with the family and let them know that there is still some uncertainty about the best duration of antimicrobial therapy in treating UTIs. Given her past side effects, you all agree to try a shorter duration of therapy with close follow-up if her symptoms persist or worsen. Okay, Ellie. I mentioned I was confused before, but we just talked about a bunch of other uncertainties in the diagnosis and management of UTIs in children. So how are you applying this research study to your practice? Does it change anything for you? Honestly, my current institution's guidelines already employ antibiotic stewardship practices that are more conservative than this paper is for simple cystitis. For those patients with fever, I'm not currently sold and will likely continue to treat for seven days. And when you have this conversation with the parents of that child, what are you telling them? Your child's urine test results and her symptoms mean that she likely has a urinary tract infection. Typically, I recommend treating her with antibiotics, but I hear what you're saying about the side effects that she had previously. There is some data to suggest that a shorter duration of antibiotic therapy might be appropriate. We can start with a shorter course of therapy and monitor improvement. If she continues to have symptoms, please take her to the pediatrician or bring her back to the emergency department. Well, Dr. Hill, thank you so much for joining us on SGMPEDS and providing your expertise. I definitely learned a lot from you. Thank you, Dennis. I had a really great time. And before we go, can you give us the SGM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it, on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to everyone next time.